This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, welcome to Breaking Bread. This is a show where we explore food through culture, conversations, and a whole lot of curiosity. I'm your host, Lo Yijun, a food writer and recipe developer from the Jun and Tonic blog. On today's episode, we're interviewing a restaurant that has popped up just right before MCO, weathered through it, and is now gaining traction in the KL and PJ food scene. We're heading to Chipta 11A, an inventive omakase restaurant near Taman Paramount. I really enjoyed my conversation with the owners, Chef Jack Weldy and Diane Ong, and the kind of cuisine that they serve is something that is really special. And you just have to hear it to understand. And through this episode, I learned a lot about Jack's inventive, playful style of food. And I hope you enjoy listening to this episode too. Testing, testing. Okay. Hi, this is Jun. And this is an episode for the Breaking Bread Show. I'm actually outside recording today and I'm at a restaurant called Chipta 11A and I'm here with the owners, the dynamic duo behind the restaurant, Diane Ong and Jack Weldy. Welcome on the show, Diane and Jack. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Okay, so the restaurant itself is called Chipta 11A and what kind of food do you guys serve? Well, how do you introduce yourself and your restaurants? Um, at this moment, I would say progressive Japanese uh, experimental kind of food. I think on your on your site you say like a modern omakase experience, right? And in terms of uh, listeners or people who aren't that familiar with the Japanese term of like omakase, what is omakase? The word omakase means literally like entrusting the chef uh, to decide what he wants to serve. So uh, that is why we, we first label it as omakase. Yes, uh, I think in that same spirit, we would like uh, the chef to take the lead in deciding what he wants to serve the customer uh, during every serving. Yeah. yeah, and talk to me about the beginnings of your restaurant. So your restaurant is relatively new, actually. Uh, it started a few months ago and I came here... It was in February, I think. And yeah, so how did this idea of this whole whole place come to be? Um, both myself and Jack has been on a culinary journey together since uh, 2013. We started partnering uh, together with some friends uh, and we opened up Awesome Canteen. At one point in Awesome Canteen's journey, we actually started rolling out omakase in our Penang branch. And in Penang, we were just dabbling with uh, ingredients that we can find locally, especially offshore uh, Penang. And they were very exciting. And uh, Jack went, uh, he had no rules and he went all out, uh, you know, with his flamboyance, uh, treating and cooking uh, the food. And it was very exciting times. And we, I think he was very excited about rolling this out in KL scene as well. And uh, that uh, spearheaded this uh, new cuisine, uh, I think, for him. And we were trying to find the appropriate place to share this with the KL audience as well. 
unfortunately, there are limits in uh, the PJ branch, and we were unable to take that to a different level. So we started thinking maybe we can look around this neighborhood, which is uh, Taman Paramount, and find a location where we can set up a uh, different space so that we can uh, contain and start serving this uh, this new set of uh, food that he is very excited about. And Jack, tell me a bit about your culinary journey. When do you first start to cook, and how do you get this? style of uh, cooking and your flamboyance when it comes to cooking all right so i first started when i was 16 what i did is first i joined this japanese restaurant located at ss12 i was nothing because my english is really bad during that time you know there's only a few words that i understand and i know how to speak but eventually i become the head chef of one of these restaurant in ss12 it was fun and I begin to understand the real Japanese food. I mean, the real spirits. But it began to make me feel a little bit bored, you know, because, it, you know, the limit is there. I understand everything and I have to keep the routines every day. Yeah, it's every day. Then what happened is, um, well, Diane, uh, eventually she become my wife. <laughs> and then what happened is she bring me up. Not knowing that what am I going to do until they voice out the, the idea of opening Awesome Canteen, which is, as you know, the Awesome Canteen serving a Western food, burgers and pasta and all those. But, well, I've been cooking for Awesome Canteen for a while. And then after I reach the stage where the stage is, I feel I need to try something out, something different. And then we open another branch in Penang and I get to know all of this. Fishermen, they bring in the fish so fresh that I cannot resist myself. I can stand there two, three hours just looking <laughs> at the fishes, you know, uh, come up from the shore. So I decided to buy a few pieces of these fishes to try out. I bring it back to Awesome Canteen uh, in Georgetown in the kitchen. So I try a lot of different fish, but it is still in between the uh, Japanese philosophy to treat the raw fish, to cure them in order to bring out the flavor, not just the what they so-called umami while it's fresh, which is, is, it is nice. I never, you know, against this idea, serving a fresh fish is good, but even the cheese, you keep it longer, you get a new flavor. It's not just that beef, why is it people are curing the wagyu, curing all the meat, for like 100 days to achieve something. So I use this um, philosophy, try it on this fish, which is, it, it really works. Uh. Yeah, and so that's how this whole restaurant and this, yes. the concept of the restaurant came to be. And I think what you mentioned just now was actually very interesting. It's like when you worked at the uh, Japanese restaurant in SS12, right? You were saying a lot of the, the cooking and the philosophy behind this uh, Japanese cuisine, the traditional Japanese cuisine, is always very, uh, what's the right term here? Like very one-minded. It's like you go in and you try to push the ingredient to like the best that it can be. And it's always about the freshest or like the fattiest or the richest one ingredient, right? Whether it's like a, a sushi and like an otoro. And, and I think it's typical of Japanese restaurant where you take years to master 
each ingredient. Like people say, when you first go into work in a in a Japanese restaurant, you cook rice, you wash rice for like a few years, and then you move on to cooking egg, and then only you you get to like make the rice and serve the fish on top, and make a sushi, and that's like a whole progression, and it takes years. But what you're doing here is like really quite boundary breaking, I would say,、uh, and you are taking. Japanese cuisine,、uh, using that base of Japanese cuisine and and taking it in a different direction, that is very attuned to our local environment and and trying to bring up a lot of local ingredients. And so, when you first had these interactions with the fishermen in Penang, can you give us a few examples of the of the fish that really caught your attention and how did they compare to the typical Japanese fish? So, the first fish that really, that I think that has potential is the ikan tongkol. What the fisherman told me, this is ikan tongkol. It's a type of tuna. In Japanese, they they call it、um, katsuo, but we call it ikan tongkol. I always use in curry or sometime in the tempoyak. So very creamy. And very rich, yeah. It's a lot of flavors compared to the Japanese way of cooking. There's either soy sauce, or sweet, or there's nothing much. So I believe why, why is it we neglected this local ingredient? To me, I always saw that as like you know maybe the fish quality isn't so good. That's why you need like all these other ingredients to cover the taste. To mask the taste and bring up the flavor, and whereas for the Japanese, it's like because their quality of fish is very good, so then they can keep it pure and champion the fish. Is that the、yes. case, or, or when you compare our tongkol, like raw tongkol, what is the flavor like, and, and can it be served on its own? So, here's the thing that I found out about the local tongkol. So when I bring it back to the kitchen and then I slice, when I eat it. Yeah, there's these two different thing that we cannot achieve compared to the Japanese、uh, katsuo, which is they are a bit more fishy.、Mm-hmm. I think because of the sea are not clean enough, and then the food that they eat. I mean, the diet of the what these fish have eaten when they grow up that make the flesh is not very nice to just consume by eating raw. So, I try to cure it using kombu, which is the dry kelp. You can get it from any、uh, Chinese shop. You know they are selling it, but try not to get from the Japanese shop because they are very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, you, by using this kelp, there's a few method that I apply to cure this fish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that. That curing process will reduce the fishiness, right? And you were saying there's a second aspect to it that is also different compared to Japanese fish. Is that like the fattiness? Is、yes. that the fat content? Yes, it's the fat contents. So basically, the Japanese fishes has a very high fat content. So I call it a amino acid. And then when you break down this amino acid, it turns into a flavor.、Mm. So what happened after the curing method? In three days, it depends on how low is your、uh, chiller is or your fridge. It will change the 
smell of the fish. It will bring out more flavor. It will uh, enhance the flavor actually to become better. Like even the texture becomes slicky, a little bit chewy. It's a it's a nice texture, you know. So I decide to keep it going. So I serve as a sashimi. A few of my guests during that night, they really love it. They really like. Oh, I didn't know that the local fish actually can reach this kind of uh, flavor, this kind of texture as well. Yeah. So I I I feel really proud mm. about the local ingredient, uh, the fishes. Yeah, and I think this this tongkol is just like one example of the kind of the kind of food and the kind of cuisine that you serve here, and it's very, as uh, Diane was saying before, it's very like experimental and it's based on whatever yes. Jack feels like making today. Yes. And yeah, for for you, Diane, I'm sure you've had a lot of uh, Jack's random experiments. Yes. What were some of the few that really stood out to you and like blew your mind? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, many years ago, the first thing that he shocked me was he introduced a honeydew sauce for a, a pan-seared fish. Uh, it was a butterfish, and first and foremost, butterfish they would do it in a sashimi manner and serve in Japanese restaurant in a sashimi manner. But then he grilled it, uh, and then uh, he introduced a pairing with a honeydew sauce. When he was making a honeydew sauce, I said, "What are you doing?" And then, and then he said, "Oh, I'm gonna pair this uh, sauce with uh, this butterfish." And I was utterly shocked. But it turns out to be one of the best pairing ever served in Awesome Canteen. And uh, he he a uh, beetroot that I wanted to throw out was salvaged and pickled and served back to me. And again, I was. My jaw was on the floor, and I said uh, it could have found its way to the dustbin, but instead it found its way into my stomach, <laughs> yeah, into my mouth, into my stomach. And then he put a cheese foam on a noodle, a vinaigrette noodle. He handmade the noodle like a ramen. It was like a cold ramen, and then he had a vinaigrette dressing. It was packed with a cheese foam, and to me, as a Typical, you know, Chinese. Uh, I love my noodles a certain way. Never envision it to, yeah, with cheese. Like, how would that ever make sense? And I was superly hooked on that particular dish. And uh, many, many times, I was just blown away by the craziness of what he decides to do with very unassuming ingredients. So like you are spoiled every day. You get to try like new ingredients, new combination and flavor pairings every day. <laughs> and, uh, I will be the default guinea pig. Uh, so if I'm not standing, then that dish can't make it to the table. <laughs> yeah, I I think um, it's very exciting to have a chef who is crazy, who wants to challenge your norm. Uh, but it takes a willing audience. Uh. Yeah. yeah. Before we go on with the episode, we are going to take a really quick break. When we come back, we'll learn more about the dishes and ingredients behind Chipta 11A, an inventive omakase restaurant near Taman Paramount. Stay with us. You're listening to Breaking Bread on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Breaking Bread. I'm Jun, and I've been speaking to Diane and Jack from Chipta 11A, 
an inventive omakase restaurant at Taman Paramount. We were just discussing the many wondrous dishes that Jack comes up with at his restaurant, which highlights truly Malaysian produce. So we're just picking up the conversation there, discussing his sushi rice in particular, which instead of being flavoured with the typical Japanese rice vinegar, uses tamarind. Cue sound effects of our minds being blown. That's the that's the biggest thing, right? It's like anyone can be so-called inventive with food and try to put weird, random things together, but without the proper culinary background, without the knowledge about ingredients, like it's very hard to do what you guys are doing. And when I came over in February, I think the first thing that blew my mind was the sushi rice. Because in a typical sushi rice, you would flavor it with a vinegar, right? Rice vinegar. But what you do here is instead of using the acidity or the tartness from vinegar, you actually use tamarind or like yes, asam jawa. Yeah. Yeah. How did, how did that idea come about? Because when I had it, I was like, oh my God, it's so good. And it champions a local ingredient. So it was just like perfect to me. Yeah. How, how did the idea come about? Okay. So my mom used to cook this. We call it parasakan in our own dialect in Sabah. So using local fish as uh, ikan kembung or sardines, you know, my mom used to take the juice of the asam jawa juice and then throw it inside, Put throw a little bit of salt and sugar, that's it. Put it inside the rice cooker, let it cook like a, you know, until the fish full of flavor of asam jawa. And then the first thing that I like is I take all the juice, drizzle on top of my rice and then I take the fish, put it on top of the rice and then I eat it like that. So, it reminds me of why is it I must use the vinegar since we have the asam jawa, you know. It's so similar. The acidity, the, the saltiness. So eventually I create the recipe for that. So, Yeah, I think that is like really, really inventive. And for you guys, when, when your guests come and they hear about this uh, asam jawa rice, how is the reception like? Are people as equally excited as, as I am or I was? Or do some people, I guess the more like sushi or omakase traditionalists, do they say, oh, this is like against the rules? Or are they insulted by you using tamarind in, in sushi rice? Oh, well, not really. Some of them, they are like, wow, can I try just the rice? So uh, when I serve them the rice, they're like, oh, yeah, really? So amazing, you know, they feel like really never thought about it, yeah. you know. So I think that I did something good, but people who always eat uh, Japanese uh, sushi, there's uh, like maybe 15% of this customer, they don't quite understand about this. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. And I think when it comes to omakase or Japanese sushi in KL at least, if you see like most other sushi restaurants, they are very still very traditional. Their chefs are probably from Japan, from Tokyo, came to Malaysia, and they serve very, very traditional sushi, traditional omakase with very Japanese flavors, right? So what you're doing here is very different. Yes. And I'm sure, as, as you were telling me before we started recording, there are people who come here looking for traditional omakase experience and they don't get that. And so they feel like, oh, this is not quite right, right? And how do you deal with 
uh, customers or like guests like that? And do do you then try to change their mind, or do you sort of cater to their desires? Either of you can answer. This it's a tough question. It's a tough question. <laughs> Diane, you first. Yeah, I think realistically, as a restaurant owner, we get a fair share of the ones that really like our food, versus the ones that um, doesn't quite appreciate what was being served. So it's just the reality of the business. Just this morning, I was telling Jack because, in all honesty, we re- we we receive a bad review on the food. And uh, what do we do when we receive a bad review or somebody at the table showing you that they don't really like what is being served to them? It's very discouraging to a certain extent and uh, it's tempting to give them what they want. Uh, it's tempting to change the environment, to adhere to some concepts they have before entering. It's tempting to change our, our brand of cuisine as well, our brand of food as well. But I think... Uh, in innovation, there will always be trial and errors. There will be always a time where, uh, you know, we have to keep going forward and keep pushing, pushing what we we believe in, and uh, hopefully one day we would see fruition of uh, what we like taking form, you know, and entering into the mainstream, yeah, yeah and really pushing boundaries because uh, following the status quo. It's like the the fish in uh, still water. It, it doesn't move anywhere. There's no progress. So I am very excited. I, I, I my minds have been changed by Jack's food many many times. I, so, so you are the number one fan of this place. I've decided uh, that I want to marry this guy. <laughs> so much so, yeah. I'm a huge fan, and I think it's very exciting that we are in this melting pot where we have access to so many. So many, so many exciting uh, ingredients, both foreign and local. Yeah. Uh, it may not just be one type of cuisine. It may be, uh, you know, a combination of different things. And people, people will be excited that they, they, we are here to change some uh, mindsets that they have. Yeah. And I think, like, I just, I was just reminded of uh, this one thing I heard from Ugly Delicious, like David Changshaw, and he was saying how. So basically. It was, I think it was a pizza episode, and basically he was saying how, if you think of making a classic Neapolitan pizza, right? What is the philosophy of it, right? Is it if you make a Neapolitan pizza in like Tokyo, is it transporting all the all the Italian produce, Italian ingredients over from Italy to Tokyo and making what you can find in Italy, or is the philosophy more like using what's best around you, which is the basically the Italian philosophy of making pizza right it's like they use their own flour they use their own tomatoes basil cheese and all of it comes from around them and that is the philosophy of the pizza and i think that is what that's similar to what you guys are doing here as well because when people think of sushi they're like oh it has to be very classical japanese uh you have to import the japanese fish and it has to be with like traditional sushi rice from Japan. Even down to the garnish and uh, you know the condiments yeah. and everything very true to Japan. No, yeah. no disrespect, but a lot of people are doing that very very well. Yeah. And, and and it's like and it's like when you think about it, it can also be that you know Japanese sushi has become so good because they take what is around them. Okay and raise it up to a level that is super, super good. 
And I feel like that is what you guys are trying to do here as well. Like looking at what's around you, you know, you have your Asam Jawa, you have your honeydew sauce, you have your local fish, the tongkol and the eel as well. Yeah, the pomfret. And taking all those things and making it better than what you can usually find out there. And, and imbuing it with the Japanese philosophy of elevating ingredients, right? And I think that's very important, yeah. I think like with many uh, successful cuisine from different countries, they have been really true to what they find in, in their home grounds and making the best out of the homegrown ingredients, uh, carving out a brand for themselves, uh, an identity. I think if we don't take second look and we constantly look outside and not look inwards, I think we kind of overlook a lot of very beautiful things that we have growing in our backyards. And uh, there's so many exotic herbs we don't know of, uh, spices, uh, fishes. Fishes with no fat doesn't disregard their credibility. We need to really have a bigger arena to kind of find ways to showcase some of this, I think. And uh, thankfully, Jack, yeah, Jack, don't be discouraged, Jack. <laughs> yeah, just from what you guys explained just now, like a few of the more interesting experiments that you guys are doing, that in itself, I feel like if I was a listener listening to it, I'm like, oh my God, this is so inventive. I've never had something like that anywhere else. And I would love for that to encourage the listeners to, to come and dine at your place and understand what your food is about. And I guess in the future, moving on in the next couple of months, um, what plans do you have for your restaurant and the food that you're serving? Is it going to get more and more Malaysian or more and more local? Because right now I, I see, yes, it's still very grounded in yes very traditional uh, Japanese sushi omakase flavors and ingredients, right? And in the coming months, do you plan to shift out of that even more? Yeah, give me some time. I am, <laughs> you know, I'm in the middle of uh, something that I call it to strike out this sushi in my menu. So <laughs> in the future, my sushi fan, I, I don't know how to answer to you, but I, I have my own dream, you know? My dream is to use all the local ingredients, to use it in a better way, you know. I, I like to, to achieve that, but in order to do that, we need a lot of experiments. You know, since we, are, we name ourselves as a chipta because of we, we want to create. So there's no foundation of uh, a Japanese or British or... French, you know, as long as you know how to treat the products good, I mean the ingredients better, there's no boundaries. You can just push all the way you want. So that's why I put, you know, believe to yourself, believe to what the ingredient can give you. Yeah, so it's almost like this place with chip tar, right? It's like your own playground. Yes. Yeah, to create whatever you want. Mm. Just to end uh, and shout out your restaurant, I guess, where can people find you and how can people contact you and make a booking? Yes, we are located at uh, Taman Paramal in Petaling Jaya. And people can find us on Instagram. Uh, it's chipta11a. And also uh, via Facebook. Uh, they can WhatsApp to me. There's a number on our social media pages. Uh, yep. Cool. Yeah, and I think people should definitely, definitely check out this place. Uh, and I just want to thank both of you for coming on to the show today and for sharing. Thank you very much. 
Thank you, June. Thank you, everyone. That's all for this week's show. To listen to more episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or on the BFM app. And finally, for some funky food writing or quirky recipes, you can join me on Instagram at Jun and Tonic. That's J U N dot A N D dot T O N I C. I'm Jun, and you've been listening to Breaking Bread on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.